The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. This Sermon on the Mount is one of those passages of Scripture. Thanks, Max. Uh, is one of those passages of Scripture that can seem really difficult. And um, I think in many ways it's an invitation um, to take a closer look. And you take a closer look and that can be difficult. Um, we talked about American Beauty a little bit last week. It's a, uh, a movie that is uh, brilliant. It's um, uh, pretty amazing, and yet it's pretty difficult um, to watch at times because a closer look reveals the, some things that we just don't uh, want to see. And I think that um, for some of us, a closer look at perhaps or even our own lives or even as we look at uh, faith within the church is we look at um, lives that look good on the outside but on the inside are being inwardly consumed, um, being eaten up um, alive. And so to take a closer look, I appreciate that you're even here on this whole series, because, but I wanted to lay that out at the very beginning, that this is, at times, this is going to be perhaps hard. And the Sermon on the Mount at times can be difficult, um, because a closer look can um, sometimes bring guilt, sometimes bring shame, uh, sometimes be um, a fearful thing. And yet a closer look also um, can reveal to us the very heart of God that for some of us, perhaps we've never heard before. That God longs for us to be reconciled into relationship with Him. I mean, it's just, there's no division, that, that we are uh, together, that we are in trusting relationship with our Creator. He longs for that because He longs for you and I to be made complete. That our, that our character would be filled out, that we would grow into the men and women that God has created us to be, and all that that means. Not to be stunted, not to be stuck sort of at a place where on the outside we look, perhaps adult, right? we look grown up, and yet when you start uh, looking a little closer, you realize um, there's maybe not a lot there, and maybe even what's there um, isn't pretty. When we look closer, we see God's heart. Uh, that was the first thing, essentially, uh, essentially, I said last week, and I said, Here, here's how we've got to hold out, that we've got to remember this is about God's heart for us. So don't get, um, don't get kind of overwhelmed by trying to sort of technically be perfect, because that word perfect is that word complete. The second, the second guide for us that can help us to continue to engage in this and perhaps give us grace, I, I, I hope, um, is, is to know the way. And the way is um, unbelievably frustratingly simple. And it's about trust. It's about trusting relationship. That you can't... So we here there was three images. We talked about, you know, there's, there's a, the narrow gate and then uh, uh, the fruit. That you just look at the fruit. Look, look at the outworking of somebody's life. You can see um, what's going on. And, and that sometimes even we can do things that look very religious. And yet God would say, I don't really know. That's great that you're doing that, but it has nothing to do with me. More importantly, we're saying even tonight that um, what is it that looks like? How are we building our life? What's our life being built on? Are we building on a rock, a foundation that the storms can hit with all, with everything they have and will stand firm? The choice is ours. Um, maybe my confession, I think for some of you, is, is that it can feel intimidating at times and sometimes it can feel daunting. And I think it's why that we have the Beatitudes. I'm so, so thankful that our team has written a, a song um, on the Beatitudes that, that can remind us that, that at the very center of all this is this heart of God, 
that says, be, I want you to be like me. That's who you're, you're my sons, you're my daughters. Because when we're in it, what's hard is that, um, sometimes we can feel vulnerable. Sometimes we can perhaps maybe even feel overwhelmed. Sometimes we can perhaps even feel somewhat out of control. And we hate that. We hate that. We'll do anything we can. We will work ourselves into the ground. We would choose depression a lot of times over that feeling of being vulnerable, of feeling somewhat out of control. And uh, I, it's how I feel tonight. That I'm in a place in my own life, and I, I was joking with Brenna earlier today that, you know, I should know every time I get into the Sermon on the Mount or I teach the Beatitudes, and we, it starts out, the Beatitudes starts out with blessed are the poor in spirit, that I always engage a poverty of spirit. I probably should stop reading the Sermon on the Mount, you would think, right? But there's a sense that I get engaged and I get, and, and I come to a, a keen awareness of the ends of myself, of what I can do, of what is possible, of what I can't control as much as I would like to control. And so if you feel like, if that's you tonight, um, you're in good company. If I can call myself good company. The thing that I've begun to learn, though, is that as uncomfortable as that can be, that is exactly the place um, that God says um, to hang in, to not run away from, to not spend my life trying to protect myself from, because that is the place in which God wants to do something unique, um, wants to show himself, show me something of himself in a way that goes beyond what I could say that I could control. And so that's my hope, is that, that uh, as we go through this, that we'll come into a place where we begin to see a God who is alive and is at work and is perhaps doing things in your life and my life that you never thought possible. But it's going to take for us to be in that place where it goes beyond us. So um, that's my heart. We're going to jump into something tonight, and, and anger is one of those. We're going to look at anger. It's, it's where Jesus starts off immediately, and it's a place that I have failed time and time again. So uh, I have some uh, observations that come uh, from my life in some ways that are very um, personal. Um, but we're going to jump into Scripture, but before uh, we do, let me pray. Lord, thank you. Um, Lord, for your sermon. Lord, thank you for giving us the honor of, um, of telling us the hard word, of speaking to us like we're smart, that like we're adults, like um, we can make a choice. Um, Lord, I pray that um, as we look uh, at your word tonight, I pray that you will begin to um, point the way to freedom for some of us who are, uh, might feel consumed even tonight. Lord, for those of us uh, perhaps who don't feel that way, Lord, let us be able to live with hope that um, as we go forward, we don't have to be afraid, but we can know that you can do a work in the midst of our lives. Lord, free, free us. That's what I pray for tonight. Um, so, Lord, as we open your word, written thousands of years ago, we pray for your spirit to come alive and to speak into our hearts on this evening. Amen. All right, so... Uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. We'll have it on the screen as well. And I'm just going to read through and uh, and then make some commentary along the way. And then a couple observations that come out of this as I've kind of sat with this passage. As we think about what does it look like for us to begin to apply this um, into our, our uh, own life. So just before this, Jesus had talked about, it was the Beatitudes. Then he says, hey, you're salt and light. Then he begins to say, hey, look, I'm not about throwing out the law. What I want to do is I want to fulfill the law. And he, he uses a word that, uh, uh, he uses this strange phrase we talked about last week. I want you to have a righteousness that, righteousness that goes beyond just sort of outward 
religious um, religiousness. Okay, I want something more for you. And then he goes and he starts making uh, some commentary. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Let me just stop right there real quick. There's, there's an observation that this guy named Glenn Stassen, I think I'm saying his name right, made that um, helped me out and maybe can help you out as we go through these. Not in every single one, but in many of them, you can see a pattern that Jesus is using. And here's, and here's the pattern, okay? Um, and it's, it's, it, you can see it especially in this, this kind of this opening salvo of Jesus. First of all, it's this. He goes, I'm going to give you kind of, this is what you've heard, right? Okay, Ten Commandments, don't murder. You've heard it, right? But what I want to do is I want to reveal something. I want to, I want to, I want to in a sense take a closer look and I'm going to talk about how uh, there's actually a mechanism of bondage and I'm going to highlight that and that's going to be the closer look that might be scary. Okay, but it's a mechanism of bondage. And then lastly, uh, this is what we'll talk about. It's on the, it's on the uh, next slide. On the last bit, I'm going to give you a couple of, uh, of, of steps that you can actually do to begin to move out of a place of bondage into a place of life, okay? So a traditional command, great. We've all heard it. You shall not murder, okay? Everybody knows this. Um, I want to reveal where the bondage is. And I think this is why people, when they heard Jesus teach, there was a sense that he taught with authority because they're like, yeah, I know that may, I don't like that you're talking about it, but you're speaking truth. And then I'm going to tell you how you begin um, to move forward. So he doesn't leave you kind of out there hanging. So anyways, so as we go, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, so says, I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister, subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka. And that word raka, I love it. Um, you know, some versions leave it in, some versions translate. Essentially, essentially it means this, empty-headed or an idiot. Okay, it's this idea that there's nothing up there, Right? Right? You knock and it's gonna, it's gonna echo, right? Nothing upstairs. Okay? Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool. Okay? This is getting a little bit more. And I think, you know, some of us, we banter around with our friends and, and, you know, calling somebody a fool or an idiot might just be kind of common language. You know, if I like you, I call you an idiot. That's kind of the way it goes with Kyle and I. Anyways. So, but for some of us, we don't get that, the weight behind this. But what's going on with you fool? There's, there's, it's weighty. And because, uh, what's weighty about it is that you fool has to do um, with the sense of somebody being morally bankrupt. Okay, so st- first of all, you're you're talking about them not being intelligent. Okay, you're an idiot. Then, if you kind of move beyond that, you fool. There's a sense that this person is worthless, is morally bankrupt. In other words, there's nothing really, there's nothing really there at all. There's a sense that that this person um, is vile. Jesus says, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, you see that there's a couple of interesting things here, right? There's a kind of, he's saying, murder, okay, you know you're going you're gonna to face judgment. Okay, you know you're going to have to answer to this. But I tell you, anyone that is angry, and then he begins to give a, a, a couple of examples um, um, that kind of push this idea. And I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that a lot of times, what we're, what we, what we think is okay is what we can get away with. Right? If you can get away with something, if you don't get busted with something, then you're okay. And what he's saying is, look, you are going to be held account 
Whether you sort of get caught or not. If you murder someone, great. You're going to be held up and you're going to ask to be given account. And he's really giving three things. And in some ways, they're the same three things. He says, don't think that just because nobody catches you or you don't have to go in front of a council that you're not going to be held to account. He, and so it's really three of the same things. There will be judgment on us. You will be held to, a, held to account. A couple of observations. First is this. Is that so often we are closer than we think. A lot of times what we like to do is we like to, um, there's a line, okay? This line in this instance is murder, right? Oftentimes we like to flirt with the line, don't we? Okay, example, this is a great, this is why kids are such a great example because um, um, they they just don't uh, know better, so they just say whatever, whatever they're thinking, right? They, they're not as, uh, as smart as we are, so they can't sort of cover it up. But a lot of times, you can see things uh, that we all look at and go, ooh, that cuts a little close to home, right? So Noah, Noah and Caleb. Noah, um, recently, he has been, uh, he's liked to teach, uh, tease his brother Caleb. Caleb is, you know, three, and so he's getting bigger. And he, he is adamant that he is a big boy, right? He doesn't want to be called. He doesn't want, he wants to be a big boy. He wants all the rights. He wants to be respected. He wants to be able to, uh, um, to not be a baby anymore. He's not a baby. He likes to talk about when I was a baby. I'm not a baby, right? So Noah, who, Noah is incredibly intelligent, you guys. He is incredibly keyed in because he knows exactly, on the best side, he knows exactly what makes an awesome gift. He's the best gift giver I've ever met. He knows exactly what people like. The problem is, he also knows exactly where people's buttons are. Right? Some of you are like that. Right? You know exactly where to push because you, you get people. And I think that's what's interesting about Noah. And so Noah, he's, he gets, he picks up on this. And when he gets in a cranky mood, he starts calling, uh, Caleb tiny little bubs. Okay? Well, we call him bubs. So he's, that's, that's all right. But tiny little bubs. Caleb hates that. You couldn't, you couldn't, there isn't anything that violates Caleb more than that. Right? He gets his face. Argh! Don't call me tiny little bubs. Tiny, 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 tiny little bubs. Right? And he goes on and on and on. So eventually we start clamping down on it. And it's like, Noah, stop. Do not call him tiny little bubs. He does not like it. Right? As if I need to say that. So he goes, you know, so he kind of, you know, you know, eyes pop open. He kind of walks, you know, and then I hear him in the next door. Funny little fubs. <laughs> right? What are you doing? I didn't, I didn't say it. I didn't say, I didn't say tiny little bubs. Did you call them? No. I called them funny little fubs. It's, right? We want to get as close to the line without crossing it as we can. Right? So often what we want to do is we want to get as close to the line and think that as, as long as we don't cross the line, that somehow we're fine. What Jesus is calling us to is a sense of moving beyond externals to begin to, to, to judge our behavior, to judge what is right and wrong, and is asking us to begin to take real ownership for our own lives. Lots of us, we all do this at times. You know, we, we want to be able to, you know, this, this comes up when we start talking about sex, right? How much can I do before I cross the line? Right? How close can I get to the line, sexually or anything, without crossing it? And the same is here. This is what Jesus talked about. Hey, yeah, we're not going to murder, but how close can I get? 
And as long as nobody else from the outside tells me that I'm wrong, then it, then it's fine. We think, hey, no harm, um, no harm, no foul. The problem is what Jesus is trying to get us, he's trying to say, wake up, you guys. Come on. You, you, you know this. That if you want to start dropping things like raka or uh, fool and all the connotations of what that means, don't think that there are no consequences as you get closer and closer and closer to the line. And with things like anger, I mean, there's, this is where Christians are especially in trouble. Man, we like to, we like to somehow be able to think that we can play around with this kind of stuff. I do. I want to play around with this kind of stuff and think that, it, that really it's not gonna uh, make a difference. The problem is, that as we get closer and closer, especially as we engage in this thing, we talk about anger. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But we move from anger to raka to idiot to fool worthless. As we begin to, you see an escalation. And as we begin to escalate, what is happening is that we're beginning to dehumanize the people around us. It is not, we are not safe on this side of the line that slowly we're beginning to inch up closer and closer to where you're beginning to, to dehumanize them in your, in your mind. Think about this. So let you get the, the next ones up. So th- just think about this, right? You start with anger. Okay, you move to he's an idiot. You move to she's worthless. You move to really they should be killed. We've seen this in different instances. Think about uh, propaganda, and I, I wrestle on whether to put up um, a poster tonight of this. Um, some of the Nazi propaganda that came around World War II. What do they do with Jews? Right? You start with an anger, and there, there's. I'm not. I'm not a historian, but there's. You know, there know that there's enough of an anger. There's a humiliation that came out of World War One. There's anger inside, and easy scapegoat were the Jewish people, very distinct. So it was easy to point them out. So pretty soon, you start to see more and more propaganda talking about more and more about how these people, gosh, they're the problem. And then you begin to, to, to talk about kind of that they have, that they're, they're scheming. And then you begin to talk about in such a way that, that they're not really human. They're, they're sort of subhuman. And then eventually, the brightest, most rational nation in the world at that time can just as a a, a matter, kind of, it's just a matter of course. This is just, this is just being rational. We should probably wipe them out. We should probably kill them. It, it's why, it's why that bullying is becoming such a, such a big deal now. It, it's why, you know, we see some of the stuff that goes on or we hear news reports, you know, about cyberbullying and, and cyber especially because you don't actually have to look someone in the face when you fire off something. And there's, there's probably nobody who's more brilliant at hurting another person than a junior high girl, right? Man, they know exactly where to get you. There's nothing more brutal than that. And yet, we begin to see the effects matter. It, it doesn't, it, it, we're not sort of safe. It's not necessarily good fun. I mean, there's, there's poking around with your friends, but this goes way beyond to pretty soon the person is becoming dehumanized, sometimes in their own eyes. And certainly, um, in ours. And when that happens, they become into a they come into a place where our actions um, perhaps are a little. Uh, 
the, our, our actions or our, our sense which we thought, hey, I'll never murder. Well, pretty soon we're right on the line. It doesn't take very much to begin to tip over. Or you begin to see devastating things happen um, in people's lives. I think, you know, some of the challenges, I was thinking about this, you know, without, without going into I think the challenge for us, especially as Christians, is to think, how do we be people who say that Scripture matters, but be people who don't um, just not do the worst thing? Okay, we just don't murder. How do we be people who bring into our spheres of influence? And you don't have to add anything onto your, onto your docket of list of do's. You don't have to join a new program. You can be a part of extending God's kingdom right where you're at, where you are placed, by bringing in a humanizing element. About bringing about a dignity of people in the conversations that you, that are surrounding you, that you, perhaps you get uh, invited into, maybe that you have at times even engaged, in which we begin to, to move down and degrade, dehumanize the very character of a person. One of perhaps the, the biggest indictment for some of what's going on uh, in America as, as the kind of the, the wider culture looks at us is that as we begin to perhaps get some political power or elements of the church get political power or, or we begin to engage is that at times we think that we can, we can use the same tools, the same devastating tools to get our ends and yet think because we're serving God that the the ends will justify the means when everybody else is looking on the outside and going, they are absolutely no different. They're just another group scratching for power. And we're like, yeah, but we're God's people. And they're like, mm, pretty sure that's no different than anything else. I could do what I'm doing with my people and not have to put up with all the junk that you guys do. You see what I'm saying? We need to begin to move beyond just the basics. Just the sense of, yeah, we follow the law. To begin to, to get back behind, to look closer, to say, how do we be people who actually move uh, back off, off the line? That, that we're people that bring in to a culture. And I don't like to go into this because you guys know this. What our conversation is like and how we talk to each other is incredibly dehumanizing. Is incredibly dehumanizing. How do we begin to be people who begin to, to pull it back a little bit? A little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. First John um, says this, anyone who hates uh, a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. He, he begins the context uh, of, of this passage in, by saying, do not be like Cain. Cain, um, Genesis 4, you can go back and look at this. What's interesting about Cain, Cain, if you don't know, um, uh, murders his brother Abel uh, right out of the gates, right out of the garden. Immediately we see murder. Uh, he murders his brother Abel, but it's not like it just was a, a, a kind of a crime of passion. He had a choice. He had a distinct choice. And there's this moment in which um, God comes to Cain and he says, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? When if you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at its door and it desires and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So if the first thing, just for us as we kind of engage in this, is to remember that we're closer than we think. Don't be fooled. The second is, is that hell is a choice. 
This is what I, this is what I mean. We talk about anger and we talk about hell a little bit. And I think that probably the first thing that comes to mind is how in the world am I supposed to control anger? So we read the, pa- we read a passage up there and we, we see Jesus say, don't even be angry. You're like, come on. Okay, well, first of all, that just seems impossible. Second of all, it doesn't honor human experience. How can you not be angry? Some of us, and I'll include myself in this, are probably uh, have a bent towards anger more than other people simply because I care really deeply about stuff. If I care really deeply about stuff, something is violated, I'm going to get angry. You cannot, you can, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. There will be times in which we ain't, we're angry. And so we, we read this and we go, this just seems impossible. And this is where uh, Greek is going to help us a little bit. But I also need a volunteer. And I think I want Carl. Would you be willing? You know, just trust me. You know, on a talk on anger, he's like, great. Take this ball, right? And I can come up. I go to Carl. I go, there you go, Carl. How does that feel, huh? Great. That's what anger is like. Okay? Oh! Great. So much for turning the other cheek. Thanks, Carl. That's really great. Okay, Carl, would you do, do, do me a favor. Would you, you, said you got the ball, you picked it up. Would you, just, would you just throw it up in the air and catch it? Just, yeah. Hey, nice. Throw it up. Yeah, keep doing. Keep going. Throw it up in the air and catch it. Yep, keep going. Just don't, just keep doing that. Don't stop until I tell you, all right? You're awesome. Everybody get Carl. Good job. Yeah. I'm putting him on the spot. Well, here's, here's the deal with anger. There's a couple words in Greek for anger. The first has to do with the sense of an anger that flares up. You're not, you're not. Keep throwing. You gotta throw it up. Come on, way up. No, no, no. Two hands. Come on, dude. There we go. Okay, okay, you're in the screen. Over this way. This way. Okay. This way, that way. Okay. You're doing good. He's doing a great job, you guys. So keep, keep throwing it up. Yeah, don't stop. Okay, the first is this. It's anger that, that comes. And it's, we all have those things in which stuff just comes at us, right? It's like, some just jerk coming up and throwing a ball at you. Right? That's the anger that hits us all the time. Okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Je- no, no, you're not stopping. What's, what's the problem? Come on. I know it's been a long day. You throw it up, and, oh, throw it up in there. Keep going. Okay? The, the anger that Jesus is talking about is this word, um, Greek word, orge. And orge is, an anger that isn't just one that flares up and then goes away. It's not an anger in which uh, something just comes at you out of nowhere and you just go, that's wrong. How can you throw it at me and embarrass me and try to embarrass me for all the people? It's like, sorry if I just took you back to dodgeball days and it's trauma, traumatic for all of us. Anyways, right? That's different. What we're talking about is an anger that is nursed. It's an anger that takes work. And you're not working very hard at it. Would you throw it? Throw it up. Throw it up. Orge is this, is this anger in which we go and we pick something up and we begin to hold it up. Yep. See, now you're doing a nice job. <laughs> throw it up. You gotta put some work into it. And yet we grab it and we throw it up and we throw it up and we throw it up. We work hard to keep it alive. It's an anger that is nursed. It's an anger that we make sure that we never let the fire go cold on it. That's the anger that we're talking about. All right, Carl. Good job. Up here. Hey, yeah, give him a hand. Seriously, that was good. Nice. This is an official adult dodgeball. It's kind of scary. Do you guys get the difference that a lot of times we, people go, yeah, we can't be angry. Of course we can't. The issue, what Jesus is saying is the anger that I'm talking about is the anger in which you have to work hard to continue to keep that ball in play, to keep it going, to keep it going, to keep it, to keep nursing, um, 
to keep nursing it along. It is one in which um, we are, in a sense, keeping uh, the fires going. As one of the commentators said, it, what we're talking about is really the choice to be an angry person. The choice to be an angry person. So when Ephesians, a passage like Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. What it's saying is, look, you have a choice in this. You have a choice on what you're going to do with that. So begin to kind of look a little bit closer. We see that, you know, that there's a direction that we want to go. And the direction is, um, I want to get close to the line. But then the question is, why do I want to get close to the line? Unless there's something over on this far side that I feel like I want to get to. And I'm not an artist, so I'm really sorry about this. I'm going to call that some sort of idol. You like that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm taking up graphic arts soon. There's something over here that's promising something to us so that we're willing to go closer and closer to the line, so that we're willing to throw that ball up in the air again and again and again, to nurse the anger. There's something over here that is making a promise to us that is, is going to give us something that we feel like we need desperately because people aren't dumb. None of us are dumb. All of us are, all of us make decisions for a reason. And, and maybe that's one of the, the things that we need to do a better job at is that we can vigorously disagree with people, but they're not dumb. They're making decisions for very good reasons. Might not be a good decision, but, but we have to think about how do we uphold the dignity, um, of the person in the midst of that. The image of hell is one we don't like. And yet what's fascinating is that it's tied really close to this idea of orge. Or, or a, kind of a, a stirring up or of hatred. The word for hell that Jesus is using is, um, um, it actually is referring to a place. And some of you perhaps have heard this. There's a deep ravine uh, just outside Jerusalem. It's called the Valley of the Sons um, of Hinnom. During the reigns of, of a, during the reign uh, of the Jewish kings Ahaz and uh, uh, I'm totally blanking right now. I better look at my notes and Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the worst kings um, uh, that uh, Israel had. He, um, you don't want to look him up in the books. During that time, there was a sense of, let's just, um, you know what, all the other nations seem to have these different gods, so why don't we just kind of bring that in? So we'll just kind of bring, we'll bring in this, we'll bring in uh, Astra, and we'll bring in, we'll bring in Baal, and, and we'll bring in this god Moloch as well. One of the things that specifically uh, Manasseh did is he brought in um, these different gods, and they just kind of go, you know, hey, we're we're totally open. I mean, we're good with everybody. I mean, we're tolerant, so everybody, everybody can do this. And so they had all these different gods, and they, including, um, you know, worshiping uh, Yahweh. The problem was, is that within this valley, the way that you would worship Moloch was to burn your kids. On his altar. Okay, I don't know all the details of it. Uh, it could be that it was just this, this huge bronze statue with open hands that was heated up and that you would just, you'd put a, you'd put a baby on there until, until it, um, burned alive. I don't know if it was thrown into the fire. I don't know if it fell off into a ditch, but it ended up being this place in which kids 
were offered up as a, as a sacrifice. There's, there's something that they were trying to get. There was some, you know, some success, some sort of, um, something they thought that they were gonna, they were gonna get. They were gonna get forward. They were gonna, uh, um, become more powerful or something by offering up this sacrifice. And so there were all kinds of different sacrifices, but this one was particularly, uh, heinous. Later on, this valley would, um, be desecrated in another way as a king named Josiah would come in and say, we're going to get rid of all this stuff. Because actually, uh, a long time ago in Leviticus, uh, years and years before, uh, right when Israel was just beginning to go, there was an explicit command, do not offer your kids. Like the people um, in the land of Canaan where you're going, do not be like them. That is, that, I hate that. I abhor that. I didn't even, I hadn't even thought about it. Don't do this. You're going to be tempted to do it. You're going to think that that's how you become powerful. You're going to think that's how you get ahead. Do not do it. And so at some point, this, the, the, the shrines were desecrated, desecrated and, and, and ground up and, and, and it was, it, all the, all these uh, false gods were thrown out. It became a place then for garbage. It became a place um, where dead uh, carcasses of animals, um, be, where dead uh, bodies of criminals who had been uh, executed, where they were thrown so that they could continue to burn and the fires were kept going day and night so that you could consume the trash. And so what Jesus says, he goes, when he talks about hell, he's talking about this place that they could actually maybe even look over. That at least they knew, they, they had seen. He's saying, don't continue to nurse this anger because you think that you're maybe doing damage. I mean, some of us, we, we get so angry at things that have happened to us. And we think that we're perhaps hurting the person back. And yet all we're doing is we're offering our own bodies on an altar that's consuming us. We think it's being hurt or destroyed. We think that we're getting power back in some way. There's a reason why we hold on to anger, right? Something happens to us. Something hurtful, something that feels like it violates who we are, something that feels like it violates our identity, something that feels like um, makes us less than human. And, and to hold on to anger, to, to, to stew, to, to keep it going, to in a sense have an orgy with anger is a way for us to get control again, to feel powerful again, to, to feel like we can begin to, to make sense. And yet the problem is we're the, we're the ones being consumed in the hell of our own stoking. You see how Jesus is saying, you guys, please, you've got to back away. This is not, you, you cannot mess with this. Because so often the hell that we think that we want to blame God for is the hell that we choose. This is why C.S. Lewis in his great divorce, some of you have heard of that, read it. He basically, he has this, it's a story, it's a made up story, but it's this idea that helps us get our heads around what, it, what is hell. Jesus is pointing to something as an analogy for what, for, for final judgment. Since, in the great divorce, there are these spirits that come up from this kind of shadowy underworld and have this opportunity to, to in a sense, to go into heaven. And yet there are these ghosts and, and the world is so real and so bright and so beautiful that stepping on blades of grass is like stepping on needles. Knives, like a, a drop of water would, would be like a bullet shooting through somebody's body. 
And each and every one of these spirits goes through and they would rather hold on to, to some aspect that, that, that begins to, to tell them that they're okay, some aspect of their identity, then give that up and become more real, more beautiful, more colorful. They would rather hold on to the sense that they're owed. They would rather hold on to anger. They would rather uh, uh, hold on to something. They would rather choose hell than stay in this world that they're being invited to. And each and every spirit has uh, somebody that they knew in life that says, I'm so glad you're here. Come on. Let's go. But they will not do it. As I think about, as I sit with some of you guys, I think my heart for each and every one of you is that we would be people in this room who are able to... Um, to stare into the places that can be really scary. The places in which we feel like, I don't know if I have an identity outside of being angry. I don't know if I have control outside of being angry. And we begin to be the kind of people who can, who can, when needed, look into the darkness and say, God, will you free me from the hell I'm living in, the hell that I am creating? See, the heart of the Father, and this is what we always got to look for. We're not looking for technical perfection. We're not looking for never being angry. We're not even looking for, for, for not stewing. At some point, it, God is constantly calling out to us, begging us that we would become more than the shadowy version of ourselves. A version that is being consumed by the fires of our own doing. He says, my name is to be glorified. And when my name is glorified, you grow into the people who you're called to be and nothing else. When I was um, um, uh, a kid growing up, um, there were times when I had uh, challenges on communicating uh, with my folks, and particularly my dad. And I think, um, you know, my parents are phenomenal. If you've met them, they're great. They come down, they watch Noah uh, each and every week, and yet for some reason I picked up the sense that that I didn't feel like I could be heard. And so there were times in which... Um, and, and some of you might feel like this. You feel like you can't, your, your parents don't hear you, they don't respect you, they don't communicate. And there were times in which I felt like things that my dad said just would roll over me in my identity. They, they would roll over my voice or I would be somehow uh, dismissed. And, and, I, and instead of dealing with it, what I would do is I would bottle it up and I would tamp it down. And, and every now and then, my, I would blow my top over usually something that was just totally dumb. Right? Anybody ever had that? I won't make you raise your hands. All right? So maybe you had that experience. Right? You don't really know what to do with this, and, and yet you feel powerless, and so you can hold on to it, and you get mad, and you get mad, and you get mad, and you probably start thinking things about your friends and your, or your family that you would never want anybody to know, because it's honestly just ugly. There was one time when I was in, um, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember I, I blew up once just because salad was put on my plate, and I didn't want salad. Boom! Right? Blew my top. Everyone's just like, what happened? Well, there was one time I came home um, from college, and, um, you know, my dad said something. And I, he didn't mean, I don't think he meant anything by it. And yet, for me, it set off a rage that I could not, I, I, I have never been more mad in my life than the hour driving from my house uh, down to the airport. Rage was in me. Just because I didn't feel hurt. I started to 
do something about it. I decided I had to do something about it. Um, and so I ended up writing a letter. And I'm, I'm not proud of this. Um, but I wrote a letter. And I unloaded on my dad. In a way that devastated him. The things I said approached this. I came right up to the line. Here's the thing, you guys. This issue of anger does not, it's not just for the people who have had a horrible life and a horrible family. I have had a great family. And yet there are still ways in which we can nurse anger in such a way that you don't have to think, you don't have to go, yeah, I was kicked out and my dad beat me and all this kind of stuff. To not have to deal with some of these issues of anger in which you get consumed from the inside out. What I've begun to learn over the, over the years, and that was a while ago, and, um, and I feel like I have a, a good relationship with my dad. We're always growing on it. But part of it is I have a lot more grace for him than I did when I was a kid. Um, I understand more of what it's like to be a dad and how much of a um, screw-up you feel like most of the time, despite your best efforts. But part of this is uh, leads into this last little bit, which is what, what do we do? What's the mechanism of freedom? And it's just simply that uh, we would settle matters quickly. I'm not going to go into this now, but essentially, so if, you're, if you're offering your gift at an altar in worship, go do something about it. If you're on your way to court, fix it right then. Don't wait. You don't have time. Okay? You're not in safe territory. Don't hope that it sort of goes away. Deal with it. Let's go to that last slide. So here's, here's just a couple of things to, to think about. The time is now, you guys. The call for us is to, is to act quickly, to act in small ways. And so he, here's what, it, for instance, it looks like for me in this. Not to, not to, not to kind of pipe down on things that bug me. And, and he's human, just like anybody. So that he can say things that would bother me. And I'm sure that I've done things that have hurt him and bothered him. The issue is not for me to, to clamp down on that and then to one day explode and just devastate him. The issue is to, is to act quickly and say things right away. And so one of the things I've had to learn on, okay, is how do I back away because I saw the devastation. It, was it right for me to say something? Of course it was. The problem is... I unloaded. I, I was bottled up instead of just acting right away. So now the, my discipline, right, is w- when there's something that, that bothers me, is to act and say something right away when it's really not a big deal. Now, as we apply the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things we need to do is you gotta, we have to be smart about it. Use your head. Use reason, because that's one of the things in which the Sermon on the Mount gets really weird, is when we take these things, and then we try, in the name of sort of taking Scripture seriously, we make it so literal that it gets that it gets ridiculous, and it gets impossible. And I think it's just another way for us to say, well, see, it doesn't work. So what Jesus is saying is, act quickly. So right now, it's, it's when something goes wrong, to say, you know what? That really bothers me. You know what? I appreciate your heart in that. You can't say that to me. I'm 35, and I'm a dad. Can't do it. Boom, right there. Deal with it. Okay? Or if the, you know, and there are times where I've held off in the situ, you know, the situation in another instance where I just go, hey, you know, because it wasn't, I, I, my hope is I want reconciliation. I want close relationship with my, my parents. And so I have to do this. I have to do this with Dave even. This is what I appreciate about Dave. Lutz and I. Is that there are times when I can just go, Dave, I know you love me, but you know what? Over the line. Can't do that. And he's done that to me. 
Man, that's when we begin to act quickly and it becomes not such a big deal. For some of you, you can't even imagine that. Right? Some of you are maybe even thinking of people right now. And if, 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 if um, people you need to reconcile with comes up in worship, don't be surprised. You can't come before God who is about reconciliation and not realize who you need to reconcile with. So for some of us, it's even backing away from this place of being angry in the first place. And for just to say, pray for the strength to will a change. Confess to a trusted friend that sometimes it's just getting out there and going, you know what? And I do this. Sometimes I come home and I'll ch- talk with Shannon, just talk about, hey, man, this situation made me angry. So frustrating. So, uh, so discouraging. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to confess it out in a safe place so that I can begin to, to let go of it. Make sure that I just, I, when the ball comes and hits me and it will all come and hit us, that we can, we can move on from it. Let the Beatitudes guide you. And that's what I wanted to share with you guys earlier um, about just the sense of sometimes feeling vulnerable and weak. That for some of you, you're going to feel like I need to strike back and you need to hear the meek are the one. The, and meek is those who are, have strength under control, not the weak ones. But those who don't do what I did, which is blast back and devastate somebody. It's the meek who are going to inherit the earth. It, it, it's those who mourn. And some of you guys, you need to mourn. And you feel like, man, if I'm a Christian... I need to always be happy because Jesus is good. B.S. Life is hard. Sometimes, some of you, the most courageous thing you can do is mourn. And trust that Jesus is in the midst of that because it's only as you mourn that sometimes you guys can finally drop the ball and stop holding it. Let the Beatitudes guide you. So sometimes I'll just look at the Beatitudes and go, here's what I identify with today. I identify with poverty of spirit. I don't want to stay here. Jesus, I don't think you want me to stay here. But this means I, I'm realizing something about the end of myself. So I might, I, I'm just going to hope that you're going to lead me out of this. So I'm looking to you. I'm not going to run from this. I'm not going to try to protect myself. I'm just going to say, God, I'm in a spot right now. Awesome. You need to show up because I'm in trouble. Okay? Let the Beatitudes guide you. Trust and risk and keep moving forward. And when I say keep moving forward, the most important thing I would say around stuff in... in um, in the Sermon on the Mount, is that you will fail, guaranteed. Your Heavenly Father is not looking for you to earn His affection. You cannot do that. That is impossible. Your affection has been won on the cross by Jesus Christ. You're good. Now He's just saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. That's not a que- That's never in question anymore. It's not your faithfulness, it's, it's God's faithfulness. Now, I want you to learn to be and act like a son. I want you to enjoy the benefits of the son. You're royalty now. I want you to act like royalty. So the issue is when you, we mess up, we just confess. We just move forward. We don't beat ourselves up for not being perfect. We just say, I'm going to, here's, here's one little step back, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Because it's not our failures that define us. It's as we grow into Christ-like character that we do so. Last thing is this, is that is uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I want to I want us to pray, and I'm going to invite the band to come up. And um, the Lord's Prayer, that prayer, really what we're doing is we're just saying, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. And that's what this, it is incredibly practical. Um, I'm going to be here not uh, for my own sake, but for what your sake. I'm going to look to what you're about. And then I'm just going to trust that you're going to provide the things that freak me out, that make me angry, that make me scared. That make me uh, feel like I gotta, I'm on my own. I'm going to open my hands and say, God, I want you to work. When he does, you guys, 
This is the thing we do. When he died, when we do, he does. He works. He shows up in ways that we never thought were possible before. So let's stand and, and read, do this. Let this prayer be our ending prayer tonight. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.